Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode mm-hmm. of the Ideas Don't Bleed podcast, presented mm-hmm. by Ashcan Press, featuring mm-hmm. both of the Supple Boys, Ethan and Griffin, yep. hey. and me, Matthew Rosenberg. I was challenged today to do the podcast <laughs> intro like Griffin. I feel like that was a fucking A+. Plus. That was really uh, A+. Plus. Uh, I really didn't have anything after the, like, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but, yeah, he really built the suspense in a way that is, is, is good. Just sort, of like, just sort of like he's wandering into the room from a nap. Yeah, wandering in, but like... Has an important had an important nap that he needs to tell you about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's yeah. going to interrupt your conversation. I'd be like, "You're not going to believe what I just dreamed about." Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, I had a dream that <laughs> I had a dream. There was an it alternate was... cut of the Phantom Menace where instead of Darth Maul getting like stabbing Qui Gon Jinn, he just sort of drops. He just drops, and then he's like, "I don't know, Obi Wan. Maybe you should come check on him." And Obi Wan's like, "Are you okay, Master?" And he's like, "Yeah, but I got." I got diabetes, uh, so I gotta just. Like, I gotta, Jesus you know, Christ! Is this, wait, is this what a real dream? This is the real dream that I had last night. I'm not kidding you. This is, like well, it was ex- right like Lucasfilm about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, just like, like it was exactly. <laughs> it was in like anamorphic widescreen, like in the dream as well. Like it's just like the phantom menace as is but when obi-wan is holding qui-gon he's like oh, i got diabetes obi-wan was the was the pacing of it as weird as you just described <laughs> yes yes <laughs> well, like it's okay. it's the phantom menace as is but there's just that one little difference and that's it what well, is what is this what is the show called matt <laughs> this episode is called release the diabetes cut yeah and... <laughs> Uh, we have a very special episode as not at all set up by that intro. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just like my, felt the perfect way to get it in there. One of I'm my sorry, top go, 100 go. favorite comic writers currently working <laughs> is here today. Uh, my very good friend, Mr. James Tynan, has joined us. James. Yay. Yay. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. First of all, do you have any thoughts about the Phantom Menace you want to share? Like so, many. like so, so many. Mm-hmm. Everybody's talking about Menace? this Phantom Menace movie. <laughs> when was the last time you watched it? Well, I mean, like, like not as long ago as it should be. Um, like, I definitely <laughs> think I've watched it within the last calendar year. Um, okay. I don't know what set it off. I think like there was like a moment where I wanted to like better understand Palpatine's plan like for whatever reason and I just therefore needed to rewatch all three prequels and mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. did and like I just did that for myself like none of that was like expelled from my brain into the world <laughs> like but some, you, sometimes you just have to like you know like 
scratch a weird itch like that. What would you think of his plan? Pretty genius, right? It's a pretty good plan. It is a good plan. (laughs) I mean, I think it's a good plan until it involves cloning himself hundreds of times in another <laughs> galaxy that's another thing that that's, is like, that that's is not the same plan that's, thing. that's the perfect part of the he's like i gotta get some you know some clonage going on here and so he's like well first i'm gonna try it out on tamar morrison and then once i know once the proof of concept is all sort of like squared yeah. away i'm gonna i'm gonna have I'm a gonna bunch of like uh yeah wizard, my, i guess people yeah, yeah 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 no it's a good plan you're right gonna, it, it checks out. It checks out. It from one to nine. There's a thorough continuity of idea there. <laughs> yeah. A good plan. And also, and also, maybe there's like body swapping. Like, like yeah. he just like the Sith lineage yeah. has just been a body swap for like thousands of years. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. You know. I don't like. That. <laughs> so why do you well, sound it's, confused? Uh, it's, fun. It's, kind of, it's kind of like Freaky Friday. So but he's Darth Revan, is what you're saying. He's he is Darth, no he, Darth he's darth Plagueis. when he's telling him the story he's like isn't this a little cheeky a little cheeky bit i'm telling him a story but it's me actually yeah. Yeah. i do that a lot. and i'm gonna try yeah. and become hayden christensen oh fuck oh fuck he's ugly now oh fuck oh, <laughs> there's so much star wars in this episode <laughs> yeah. this is not what i'm gonna sign up for uh let's let's start, you know you uh, like it matt let's start with some questions for james that might be relevant to his life um okay james we we open with a very broad question in the past i've always apologized for this question Mm -hmm. i'm done apologizing this is just the question we open with (laughs) oh damn uh which is why comics why do you make comics i don't fucking know Mm-hmm. Like I mean, I love them. Like I, yeah. I, I, I love comics. Like I have a giant wall of comics behind me. It's my favorite medium. Uh, I have like this amazing job where I can just come up with cool stories, and then my inbox fills up with beautiful comic book art, uh, which is like my favorite. Like comic book art is my favorite thing in the world. Like yeah. it is just you know bar none. Like I, and now now I'm like you know going down the horrifying rabbit hole of like actually acquire acquiring physical comic book art yeah um, like <laughs> destroy me like you know financially and emotionally but it is like it's everything like this, a, are you find are you finding wall space for all of it or are you putting it in a big book? I, I have a good amount of wall space but and okay. i am covering a lot of it up with comic art but i'm definitely yeah. gotten to the point where i'm just gonna have a few like portfolio books that i just sort of <laughs> and, like cycle some pieces in and out you also yeah. have you also have a lot of windows in your place you can cover yeah. those with art too yeah that's, yeah, that's, yeah. Not, that's not weird do that <laughs> people will tell you that's weird and i disagree yeah. um <laughs> do, do you have art this is a we're just gonna run this like it's not an interview like it's just us hanging out uh yeah. do you have like an art thing that you're going after that like do you have a holy grail like artist or piece mm-hmm. of art that yeah no 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 so i mean like from the start of my career i had like a number in my head that the second I got a check of like, you know, a certain amount, mm-hmm. I would go and I would get uh, an original page from Sandman. Like mm-hmm. that was my thing. Mm-hmm. And I hit mm-hmm. that moment in the 12, in the like lead up to a Sandman TV show and the s- prices of the, those original art <laughs> multiplied by five. Yeah. So now I have a new number that once I get <laughs> then I will try to get one. Yeah. But it's just like, Damn. I don't have an original Sandman piece, but I've 
you know, slowly over time, I've like picked up pieces from like series that were really important to me. Like I have a planetary page. I have, mm. uh, you know, why the last man page. I have a sleeper page. Like, you know, I like there's some, there's some superhero shit that I would love to get my hands on. I do have a like quietly JLA earth two page, which is like oh. pretty fucking good, but I'm not like, you know, the, like, obviously the, original superhero art from the heavy hitter stories like is always going to be like you know i need to like sell 20 movies and then i can like operate in that world yeah i i had a similar thing which was um when i wrote my first i told myself when i got paid by marvel for my first uh comic i would go on a uh, i would go buy a bunch of comics and i went and with my first script and I spent my entire paycheck on my first story at a comic book store. And that was a good feeling. Was... And wasn't that also like a comic book store that you were currently working at? Or mm-hmm. That's you... correct. That's yeah, correct. yeah, great. yeah. Great. <laughs> so I got, I, got I got a really good discount. That's good. Um, <laughs> uh, and even with the discount, the whole check gone. The whole check gone. It was, it was a short <laughs> thing. It wasn't bad at that comic store, like, because I lived in the neighborhood and, like, that's where we, like, became friends. Yeah. And, yeah, it was like whenever I would go to the movies, I would go, like, bother him yeah. uh, for a while. It's, it's actually, uh, yeah, I, I said this to someone the other day and they were like, how is that possible? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, yeah, me and James have been friends since before either of us was published. You weren't published when we first yeah. met. And um, I think that's a great segue into another question for James, which is James, you know, why Matthew Rosenberg? Like why this? <laughs> <laughs> we should do that as a round robin question. I've been trying to ask that. I mean, honestly, I think it's just because like, for whatever reason we like, I don't know. I feel like we riff on the same frequency. So it's just like, we can have like a 20, like a 20 minute conversation where neither of us has said a genuine thing, like mm-hmm. about like, <laughs> The book that was on the stands that obviously we <laughs> really loved uh yeah. yeah so that you know that became a fun little banter and then i started getting published and then he started getting published and then like we started bumping into each other at comic conventions and then it was like oh i guess we could we should like hang out like in the wild <laughs> at some point <laughs> uh, the thing i oh, like boy. about the way we talk is that like sometimes we'll go out to dinner and we'll have like a nice two hour dinner. And at the end of us, one of us will be like, hey, we should actually have a genuine like friend moment here and be like, <laughs> how are you? Are you okay? And like check in with each other, like as we're leaving, as we're like yeah, going, yeah. going to the subway. Just be like, hey, I mean, that's the time to do it. Yeah. You know, you don't want to get, you don't want to spend too much time on that shit. No, Literally, as you're walking you away need to... from each other, just yeah. being like, hey, are you good? Yeah, okay. Yeah. No one needs to that. So uh, some of this is just going to be stuff that I wanted to ask. I've always wanted to ask you, but like, again, we're at dinner just making fun of each other. So there's not really a, a good time. But uh, I was thinking about your career and, and you're, you're an interesting one because you are something that I always, not always, but like your career follows a trajectory of something that I rail against a lot but it seems to have worked out for you okay which is that like you pretty much launch in what i call the deep end of the pool which is like heavy you know like heavy demand big two comics where like the machine runs yeah Yeah. Yeah. and like that's sort of where you learn to swim and like i see that happening more and more now and i think it's really 
probably detrimental to people that they learn that way. What are, sort of what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you wish that you'd come up doing that stuff? Do you do you wish you'd had the time to do more indie stuff first? Like, do you think that was a good experience? I mean, it worked out. Like that's the <laughs> like, and I mean the, that's like the real answer. Um, sure, I was like incredibly lucky that I had an advocate in Scott. Like, so Scott Snyder was my writing professor at Sarah Lawrence College. That was before he had ever written a comic book. Uh, he was just a short story author. Uh, but while I was in his class, we started, uh, you know, like he started pitching Vertigo, what would become American Vampire, and I became a sounding board. And then that continued after I was at school. Uh, I, I originally thought I wanted to be an editor. Uh, that was that was the path that I, I wanted to head down. And I was an uh, intern at Vertigo, blah, blah, blah. But through all of that, I was, you know, I was Scott's sounding board uh, because, like, Scott had read comics his entire childhood and, like, into college. But since graduating college, he had kind of, like, you know, fallen off for a few years. And I was very familiar with what had happened at DC during those years. So I helped mm-hmm. fill those gaps and, like, you know... Like, like I, w- I was a bit of the encyclopedia because, you know, all of the books that I have on a shelf behind me are just in my head. <laughs> uh, like, and I, you know, uh, when, when the New 52 started, like, I, uh, you know, they asked Scott to do eight extra pages a month. He was working on too many books at the time and could not do the work himself and asked if I would come in and co-write the backup stories with him. Uh, with the understanding that I would write them, but he would look over my shoulder. Um, And like, I, you know, so the, the first two artists I work with were were Raphael Albuquerque and Jock. Um, The the benefits, I mean, like there, there are some real benefits to that. When you start uh, with somebody like on the art side, who understands what they're doing. And normally very green writers don't start with an artist who's like fully figured out what they're doing. You start to understand faster what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you're getting in their way and when you're not. Were they, were they pushing back on stuff? Oh yeah. I mean, I had uh, Jock draw uh, a group of people carrying an upside down horse down a hallway. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which he still gives me shit about um, sure. this day. thankfully i'm like fun to have a drink with at a comic convention like otherwise <laughs> yeah. uh, i was like i was 24 years old i didn't know better and you know it was one of the those things where you know like scott trusted me he trusted my instincts but he also tempered uh some of my you know what my flourishes like when I would like be a little too self-indulgent and all of that and then every now and then he would let me do it to show that it was wrong mm-hmm. and it was funny but like it was once I got into the next uh like round like once I got outside of Scott's protective umbrella the, for the first time I started hitting all of the problems that I think I see happen to other people who are brought in at such a young age and such a high platform where suddenly I had no control over my stories and the, you know, like it, it was, it was all sort of pulled away from me. And like, honestly, if Scott hadn't come back around like a year later, like I kind of had a year off on my own in DC land and then Batman eternal happened. Yeah. And so Batman eternal effectively uh, like Scott was like the effective showrunner of uh, the, like on paper, Scott was more the showrunner of this whole weekly event. 
practically I was the showrunner of this weekly uh, Batman series at age 25. Yeah. And the only qualifications I had is that I really liked 52. Um, <laughs> and, but that taught me, that was the biggest trial by fire. Like, that was that was uh who was it that was brisson and that was brisson was round two uh, oh, okay. one was uh it was me scott C- uh uh Seely, um ray fox oh, uh, yeah, yeah. and uh at first it was john layman and then kyle higgins uh swapped that um hundred percent forgetting someone and i feel terrible uh, it was a long time ago Actually, no, I don't think I am. There were more people in round two. Yeah. But like that, so that was the, like, that was the thing, but it was happening so fast that I had to, like, I was able to, like, very quickly test all of my theories of, like, what I think thought would, like, work in a, in a superhero comic. Mm-hmm. And some of them did and some of them didn't. And then, yeah. like, the process of doing two Batman weeklies in a row, Batman Eternal and then Batman and Robin Eternal, by the end of that, and then, like, right up while I was working on the second one, I did uh, Batman TMNT. So yeah. then, like, once I came in for Detective Comics, I kind of knew what my priorities were writing a Batman comic. And mm-hmm. I knew how to both navigate the internal politics, which is one of the most difficult elements of the job. Yeah. And I knew, like how not to overreach what I was capable of as a writer. Can I ask you real quick? Cause that's fascinating, especially sitting here as two 24 year olds who are working on a book. And it's like that hearing that you did things and like even Scott would let through something where it was like you, you, you did something that didn't work. And then like, you can look back on it now and go, Oh, that just, yeah. that got through, but I shouldn't have done it. Do you, are, are there, is there an example you're willing to share or something that you feel like you shouldn't have done? I mean, honestly, the stuff that's, and like, this sounds like such a cheap answer. I remember more the things that like, once I figured, uh, shit, like the moments of me figuring shit out, right. those are the moments that like really stand with me. Sure, I, sure. I think it's Talon number three or number four. I forget exactly, but that's when I figured out how to pace a comic book. Um, right. and it's just like, I started realizing that I work best with larger casts and intercutting between, mm-hmm. uh, like and playing with the tension between by cutting in between uh, different like courses of action. Right. Uh, and it's just like the, you see the blueprint for how I still write comics today in that issue. And that is, and it's something that I do very differently than Scott does. It's like, yeah. Scott is very good at writing singular, uh, singular characters and singular focus and a single through line. And I tried doing that, but I was bristling against it. I needed mm-hmm. to be able to cut away to release the tension and then build it again uh and then come it back come at it again um and like the the moment i figured that out was huge and then over in like my creator owned space on uh the woods it was the moment that i i figured out that i just needed to throw out the entire outline and basically redesign the book because i came up with an idea (laughs) that was better uh than what i had planned for for two years and the second i did that like and i started being moving faster on my feet it was yeah where were you on the woods when you figured that out I was writing issue six or seven and I realized that this, like this was a, uh, a series that was going to run for 36 issues, like boom, like it had been launched successfully enough that boom had like given me that runway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I had this character who was going to be the villain of the entire series. 
but it was obvious as of issue six that he was the villain of the entire series. And it was deflating all the tension, the idea that I was going to hold that tension the whole time. And I realized he needed to die in issue 12. Hmm. And once he died, it made every character's story more interesting. And it threw everything into chaos. All of the, the pieces of story that they like and mythology that they were like, almost uncovering at the end of year one, they wouldn't end up uncovering until the end of year three because he was dead. Mm-hmm. Like all of those. So all of that added up uh, into like, you know, like the, and that's a moment that I chase now. Like I, yeah. you know, I try not to nail things down too much. I actually just had this on my new series world tree. Uh, I'm part, I'm working on issue three right now. And uh, you know, the, all of a sudden I realized that something needed to happen in issue five that wasn't in the outline Mm -hmm. and that, and there was a moment where I was just like, Oh, that's the book. That's that is. Mm -hmm. And I knew tonally what the book was. I knew character wise, what the book was. I knew so many key pieces about the book, but it's just like, I needed that one, the one extra piece. And it doesn't happen until I'm like in the world, like walking around with the characters and getting to know who they are. Because sometimes like in a document, the character you think is going to be your favorite character uh, ends up being kind of boring to write. Mm-hmm. And the character who you had no expectations of is suddenly the most exciting character to write. Yeah. If you don't lean into that, then what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because that's like... With with me and Tyler on, on What's the First Place from here, we're like really leaning into that idea of like, we know where we're going, but exploring along the way. And like... I kind of went into it and obviously I'd had things where like there was fuzzy parts or gray area, but we have a lot of gray area in the middle and it's sort of been the most rewarding for me is like figuring out that, that roadmap that like connects the points. (laughs) Like we have two, two ends of the map and just connecting them. And I, and now I'm like going back to a tightly scripted, tightly plotted series. And I'm like nervous about it for the first time Mm. in my career to be like, oh is this gonna fence me in too much like do i need to strip some of this out so that i have room to discover as i go it's a weird it's a weird thing to be like still learning process right, as you go right. but it's the, the point we stop learning process then like why are we still doing this the, yeah exactly and i mean like the like frankly that's what you're describing is the thing that i want to challenge myself with like in like soon like i have I've thrown out the roadmap on so many of my books that the next thing creatively to challenge me is I need to build like a rigid roadmap and mm-hmm. see if I can execute it like really well. Yeah. Um, like I'm, you know, that might not happen in the next year or two, but it is just like, I, I want to, I want to see, like, I want to, I want to test it out. Do do a high story. <laughs> high story. <laughs> it's, I, I, I did a high story and I forgot that I hated doing it uh and i'm really proud of it at the end and then i now i'm like doing another one and i'm like yeah you can't really go off map on this like it needs to <laughs> it needs to really connect in good ways and it's kicking my ass but it's a it's a good ass kicking sometimes there's good ass kicking when the new direction like pops into your head like that like how do you differentiate between like this is this has organically sort of taken its own direction in my head and like i'm getting excited about a new idea because it's new and it's not just what i've already had down you know what i mean i mean there there's really no difference like yeah. like you need to plug the most like you know if 
if your creative energy is like an energy and like mm -hmm. the process of writing is like plugging that energy into a script, you need the mm -hmm. thing that has the most energy and you need to plug that into the script. Yeah, um, right. Like the second you're like saving some of that energy for later, it's going to be depleted. Like, yeah, right, totally. you know, I like it's, it's one of those things like, and this was, this was a fucking excuse. Like this wasn't like, I've never been good at taking notes like at meetings or, or in class or anything. And it was just like the important shit. I'm going to, I'm going to remember that the important stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, I, I will write a 10, 20 page document and not look at it for six months to a year. And then I'll basically try to write the document again without revisiting it. And then mm -hmm. like, before I start writing the script, I'll read all the different iterations of it. But it's just like I want to see the different evolutionary steps of uh, of all of it. Like when when World Tree is done, like years from now, like I will like lay out all of the different like evolutionary steps of it. But like they all involve shit that won't happen in the book until like, <laughs> way later on, so I can't show it to people now. But it's like I, you know in a lot of ways this is like one of the more refined versions of that process everything else mm. has been like the accidental version and this is me trying to lean into what has worked on my other books mm -hmm. i want to go back to something you said before because you were talking about sort of the evolution of your career from you know working under scott to like doing stuff like talon to batman eternal batman and robin eternal to turtles um and then you know i i'm sort of looking at your career uh, you know as someone who was there and and friends with you and and we we're talking about that stuff a lot and it seems to me like obviously there's been a a huge like a, a popularity change in your work i don't know like what the nice way to say that is but like you're more popular now than you've ever been yeah um do you feel like something changed in the work there or it's an organic growth or like, do you, mm -hmm. and is there a point where you feel like that is specifically where you were like, Oh, it's, you know, yeah, this, so killing the children. Number one, that's okay. right. the turning point, like both like sales wise, but also just create creatively, creatively. Yeah. Um, like I, I was a fanboy. Mm-hmm. And for the first, like, seven years of my career, the reason I was writing all of those stories is because of my love of older stories. Mm -hmm. um, and I was trying to tap into my love of those stories as my main creative fuel. The second I stopped trying to tap into that and I started tapping a bit more into myself and my own experiences and my own emotions... I got much better work. Mm -hmm. And the second I saw that, the tapping into the fanboy fire, like, didn't feel as satisfying anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. At all. And, uh, like, because it's just like I was hitting, I was hitting a real nerve with my creator-owned work that, like, my my Batman run is a weird thing like consider like because it's the it is a shift into this later model of how i write mm -hmm. uh that still happens within my like superhero time mm -hmm. like because my my detective run is a love letter 
Like that, my detective run is a love letter. My Justice League Dark run is a love letter. Justice League Dark is probably my last love letter, like that I wrote to the DC universe. My Batman run was me trying to tap into like what viscerally I love about superhero comics without caring as much about writing a love letter. I wasn't trying to like hold something up on a pedestal. I wasn't trying to do anything that was coming from my own nostalgia or like why I wanted to write these characters. I've already, I've, I've written hundreds of Batman comics. I didn't need to do that anymore. And I wasn't interested in doing that. I wanted to lean into the vibe of what I wanted out of that comic. Mm -hmm. And it it was difficult to write because that's not really how I write anything else, but it is the, it was thrilling and it was, you know, and it was telling. I, the second I started doing that, I was, you know, when I was on the Batman book, but that definitely matters. But it was just like, you know, when I started on Batman, uh, my sales weren't great. And, you know, over six months, we doubled the sales on the book. And so it was just like it had something to do with what was happening in the book and the energy of the book. And then especially once like I was partnered up with Jorge Jimenez, it was just like we both had a really powerful energy that was like, you know, we were unleashing on the page. And it was like it was just pure id, like pure comics id. And that's what I wanted out of that run. Um, I like, you know, I but I don't. Like, but that's the thing. Like, I don't know that I can tap back into what used to fuel my earlier work. Some of that is uh, just, you know, behind the scenes stuff at the companies. Like, frankly, the companies kind of burned out uh, a lot of my love of uh, superheroes just in general. Uh, I think it's also culturally we're so maxed out on superheroes. (laughs) It's just like, you know, why would I tell a story about something I care about with through the lens of superheroes when I could tell it just i could just tell it yeah Um, and yeah like and then the fact that my own shit is selling better than like even some of my batman stuff was like that 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 was a good sign that it was time to switch over was there anything that helped like sorry was there anything that helped like cause that shift of like uh, with being able to like you said kind of tap into the more visceral side of like yourself and everything like did anything uh uh, like motivate that change something is killing the children is like really important to me in a lot of ways because a lot of it was just in a pure polar opposite reaction to my work at dc right. um i wanted to do something like slow and decompressed in a way i wasn't allowed to at dc i wanted to do something violent and cutting in a way that i wasn't allowed to do at dc i wanted to do something that was incredibly grounded in a real world even though it had these fantastic elements like i was ex- I, like i remember i used to talk about in like interviews in the like 6 months leading up to something is killing children how excited i was like at the start of issue two, there's a scene that's essentially in an Applebee's and I don't need to like <laughs> describe how the multiverse works to do a scene. <laughs> like Erica Slaughter doesn't say her name until the third issue of uh, something. Right. Children. Like yeah. I, I was able to break every single rule and then it allowed me to reevaluate every single rule and reevaluate how and why I was building these stories. And then on top of that, the other shorthand that I I stumbled into, and it was like, it was because I was like drowning in scripts and deadlines and all that, but there was a truth or dare scene at the start of something is killing the children. Number one. And I didn't have ideas for what the characters names was. So I were, so I just plugged in my name and I plugged in the name of my, the, 
four friends I would I had sleepovers with at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, and suddenly I knew those characters. I knew those characters backwards and forwards. I knew how they would joke with each other. I knew all of this stuff and I just could write them. And it was just like the most freeing, powerful thing that it was like the book kind of wrote itself. And once I was able to like tap into that, like I haven't turned back, which is why, you know, all my comics have like, you know, James surrogates in them, which now I find myself the, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, like you know, it's like you lean into what works, and yeah. that worked, and then suddenly it was the, you know, like throwing people in capes and tights felt a little. Hmm. It just like that doesn't mean anything to me in my in my life. Like you know, it did at a moment. Like, but what it meant was like, oh, I really liked reading these stories when I was fifteen. Like that's mm-hmm. that's like the extent of the meaning of it to me. Sure. It, mm-hmm. It's interesting to me because obviously I think you know the audience would all agree, and I would as, I would assume you would that uh, DC versus Vampires is the the best thing you've ever worked on. <laughs> and I'm wondering, no, that's not a real question. Um, <laughs> I, I, could, I was going to write it to the end. Job on DC versus Vampires. I'm very very <laughs> proud that I get to have my name on that book. But Matt <laughs> um, did the heavy lifting and deserves all the credit. No, not really. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, the the thing I actually wanted to ask was like, and I I know the answer, but it, it, this sort of segues into the next question, which is like, you left Batman, like you walked off the biggest, quote unquote, the biggest book in comics. Um, it's fascinating because I think like for people like me and I think a lot of creators, we sort of study people's career moves. You study like the paths and not that you want to follow anyone's path, but like you just have to know where people go and how they move and, and what can happen to them and stuff. And like, I I think a lot about you leaving DC because leaving Batman, because it's one of those things where like, it's sort of historically true that at both Marvel and DC, you you outstay your welcome a lot of the time. If you're not thrown out of the building yeah. by their <laughs> accord, you outstay your welcome of your own accord. And like the one person that people always pointed to for me in my career, they were always like Mark Miller. Mark Miller left at exactly the right time. He had yeah. all the power. He was driving all the best stuff at Marvel. He was like... And he was just like, nope, I'm going to go do my own stuff. And like, it obviously paid off. He got Netflix, he got movies, he got TV shows and, and has all, has an empire of books and it's amazing. <laughs> and it's fascinating to me because I watched you leave Batman in real time where you were calling me being like, I'm thinking about leaving Batman. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. You're, you're crazy. You're yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I remember saying, yeah, really don't do that. And then you walked me through it and I was like, mm, that's interesting. Um, but the uh, I I feel like your exit is going to be something that's like studied for decades, like th- that that creators are going to study and talk about. Like, can you talk about h- how scary was it to leave Batman? How hard was that decision for you? I mean, it was hard. Um, I think a lot of the ways that it's hard are kind of like some of what makes it hard is bluntly like you know DC didn't necessarily like i don't like, think they listen to this podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, like, 
like <laughs> they didn't I never felt appreciated by DC. Um hmm. I did a tremendous amount of work for for them for a very long time and even when I exceeded expectations and all of that like that didn't translate into like more than that. Mm-hmm. Um and you know it like and I finally especially in the second year of my Batman run I was able to kind of do what I wanted to do for a long time to show and I wanted to what I'd been trying to like show that I was able to do. Um but like it just didn't mean as much to me anymore. <laughs> um and like I mean the like this is the honest thing. The hardest thing about uh stepping away from Batman was stepping away from Jorge Mes. Like uh, just as a creative partner because he is mm-hmm. work he is doing some of the best work in the industry and it's just like I when I connect to an artist, I never want to let them go. Uh, and like, uh, like Jorge and I were really connected on a creative level and, you know, creating a bunch of really cool shit. And if I had stayed on the book, we would have made a lot more cool shit. Yeah. Uh, but everything else uh, mattered more to me. Uh, the creative control, the, um, you know, living in my own worlds, having the bandwidth to experiment, uh, you know, being able to test out the bounds of like, you know, what I want to do business wise in this industry. And it was just like, I, I set a bunch of things in motion that literally, you know, we're recording this the week that uh, Blue Book number one comes out in uh, stores through Dark Horse. And it's just like, I like built a, you know, a, a publishing plan where I'm ex you know, I'm experimenting. This is, this is an experiment. Uh, but I think there's an audience uh, for this kind of weird material. And I wanted to test whether or not there is an audience for it. Mm-hmm. And the initial sa- sales say that there is an audience for it. And yeah. so like, I want to be able to, you know, like build the stuff that I think should exist in comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that we're entering a market where superheroes are going to have a, smaller and smaller piece of the pie uh and it's just not where i want to be it's not where i want to be creatively it's not and you know there 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 could have been like an an emotional overture that like could have like compelled me to stay in some way a little longer um but it didn't come and the you know the emotional pull of everything else was more powerful mm-hmm. so you you leave part of that is going to Substack to launch your own books and and come up with sort of a, a bigger plan for Tiny Onion and and what it can be. I'm I'm sort of wondering how much of that was in an original roadmap. How much of that was stuff that you were always like, well, I would love to have my own imprint, my own publisher, be doing this stuff. Was it a pipe dream? Was it like this has been presented in front of me and now it's a reality, or was that? all just like, well, now I have these opportunities. What do I do? And making it up as you go. I mean, all of the above. Mm-hmm. It's a series of pipe dreams, a series of evolving, <laughs> escalating pipe dreams. Yeah. Um, but it is mostly, I, I've i always bristled against uh, having to ask permission to like make the stuff that I think should exist. And being in a position where I can finance my own books 
uh, and I can build them the way that I think they should be uh, at the quality that I think they should be. And then I can bring them to the publishers where I think they make, make the most sense, like feels good to me. Um, I like that, you know, what tiny onion studios has become uh, is sort of an independent, like comic book production studio. Like we are not a publisher. Like I, you know, like we put out more books than some publishers, but like, uh, you know, really what it is, is like, I am, it is this central hub, like creative hub. That's me and like, you know, a brain trust of like creators and editors around me that are just making stuff that the way that we think it should be made. Mm -hmm. And then it's finding the publishing partners who are going to, you know, uh, allow allow us to reach the audience and allow us to have the you know uh the income that allows us to keep doing this yeah Uh, and like and that's the system that i you know ever like the last two years was about building a bunch of creative projects but also an infrastructure Mm -hmm. uh and now i'm at the level for to to take that infrastructure to the next level which is what my big job this year is Mm-hmm. And like that was in the plan for the second I knew that I, you know, like the, like when somebody shows, knocks at your door and is just like, here's a big ch- check uh, <laughs> for like something we can all relate to. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, no strings attached. Uh, what do you want to build? And mm-hmm. like for one year, there's some restrictions on what you can do, but they've, they're not creative restrictions. They're posting like, yeah. you know, mandates uh so what i built was you know a like uh, a collector club uh a storefront and uh you know my like my production hub of Mm -hmm. tiny onion studios and that has given me all the pieces to now be ready for this next phase of my career Mm -hmm. um and i'm excited about it Uh, i had a I had a question, Matthew Rosenberg, uh, for, and I think you both can speak to this, um, but James, you're, you're talking about like going to this next phase and the, the, the next evolution of all this stuff, but, uh, you and, and Matt, you guys both have like just crazy output. Uh, mm-hmm. and so <laughs> I wanted to know, you know, Ethan had mentioned it earlier, we're working on the first book and we're just now starting to sort of talk hypothetically about maybe we can start working on another thing right now while we're working on the first one and that just seems so like daunting and (laughs) and the sort of creative organization needed uh for that is something that i think i'm still learning um and so i want to know how you guys can just like switch from project from project to project and get it all out and have it all be fantastic how Um, do you do it well i can't how do you do it Um, okay sir he's being humble again folks we need like a little sound effect like a little alarm that goes off when matthew doesn't want to admit that he's a good writer the (laughs) The humility bell (laughs) you know i i get asked that a lot about like do you get like the simple version of that is like do you get confused working on a bunch of projects Mm -hmm. um which is a funny question to me because like 
no of course not like i live and breathe <laughs> these stories it's like it's like that question to me has always been like asking people like do you ever go out and hang out with your friends and call them the names of the people you work with by accident <laughs> it's like no these are these are elements of my life that i live and breathe it's not yeah. like they're loose things that are flitting around like they're very entrenched in my mind all the time like they're very well thought i spend more time living in fictional worlds than i do in the real world so like <laughs> separating them into different channels has never been a, a problem but i think i mean some of it is learned you know like the first time you're at a big two book and they say you know can we actually have this at the end of the week instead of next week uh you find out if they can like yeah. you're, that that's you know and and the problem is not uh the, the problem becomes that they'll keep pushing you a lot of times you know if, if you're lucky they'll keep pushing you and you have to figure out when you can say no or physically can't mm -hmm. do it and for me like i go i i i say too many yeses <laughs> and so i end mm -hmm. up drowning in stuff that like I wish I had more time on, but yeah, I mean, I think one of the things is like, I love creating things. I love, I love making things. So the excitement of like, what's next never goes away because there's always the next idea that like is in the back of your head. So you might as well start working on it and you might as well start getting it down. So you're ready to go. Um, it also takes a while. How do you pivot? <laughs> And you pivot that creative like energy. We're talking about creative energies and plugging in, uh, so to speak, for various things uh, and saving, save or not saving creative energy for, for you know something down the line or anything like that. So when you're working on you know it, whether it's Joker and then going over to what's the furthest place or James is working on you know he's talking about aliens with Oming and then he's writing World Tree and how do you like? separate all that to make sure that each project is getting the right amount of stuff james has got it yes you yeah. in the in the purple yeah yeah um <laughs> i mean i i always think of it like kind of like weightlifting you're using different muscle groups mm. the hardest thing is to switch between two very tonally similar books um, right. like back to back mm. uh, like doing too far a jump like honestly when uh wind is in my rotation it's one of the harder series to like make a jump from where you know like all of my series kind of have a horror tinge and even that one does too but it's just like obviously there's there's a line that i can't cross in wind that i can cross in all of my other books and it's just like i need to like hold myself back uh but honestly like this is I am able to work on as many projects as I am because so many of them are long form projects. Writing middle issues is like, I don't want to say it's easy, but it is just like, I know all of the characters. I've, I wrote an outline of what happened happens in this arc, like six months ago. I know generally what needs to happen in this issue. Uh, I'll follow my instincts and see how much of that ends up happening in this issue. But right. it is just like, you know, something is killing the children doesn't take me long to write. It's like, normally it's a, a day or two, two days uh, to knock out an issue of that just because like it's mm -hmm. decompressed and all of that. And I trust further. So I don't have to like, unless I'm describing like a real key new setting or a really an important new character. Mm -hmm. uh, like I, I, there's not, you know, I, I don't need to worry as much about that. And in right. general, I've built the way I build my series is all like that. I do so much of the like design ideation and the like settings and all of that, like before we start on the book. 
uh, so that I can like really lean in. Like, I, so I can just write. Like, most of my scripts mm-hmm. just describe like core actions and character emotions. Like my my pan my I do very sparse paneling because uh, it's more about pace and rhythm for me. Uh, and so it's just like once a ri- the rhythm of a book has established itself, I can write that uh, and I can do it pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. And I like I, I like hopping between a bunch of different things. I think I'm doing probably like, you know, a few two- more things than I should be right now. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I but it, honestly, it there were moments at D.C. I was working on ha- like half as many things or even a third as, as many things that I felt more mm-hmm. under the gun and stressed out of my mind than I do now. Okay. And that brings us to the end of part one of our discussion with James Tynan IV. Make sure to check out World Tree and everything else James is working on by subscribing to his Substack, The Empire of the Tiny Onion, at jamestynanthefourth.substack.com. And give him a follow on Twitter, at jamesthefourth. Fourth. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week for part two of our discussion. And in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at Ashcan Press on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Where is the poison?